up next on the You Ain't Nothing Yet podcast, we have an individual who's achieved quite a lot in a very short space of time. He's played gigs all over Ireland, he's played festivals, he's supported acts like Ash and Pete Doherty. Yes, you did hear me correctly. His tracks have been featured on BBC Radio Ulsters across the line, also BBC Introducing. If you're wondering what he sounds like, I sort of hear the Strokes, early Kings of Leon, even a little bit of traces that far back to the likes of The Who. Mm-hmm. Here to tell me all about what he's been up to, where he's going, what he's doing, it's a lovely man, Charlie Hanlon. How are you, sir? How's it going, Jack? Glad to be on today. What I'm going to say next doesn't really work for, I suppose, a podcast, but loving the yellow hat. Thank you very much. <laughs> yes, I, this is this hat's almost glued to my head, and I lost it on New Year's Eve this year. So I went into the New Year with no hat. I oh, no, Ooh. no, it was Halloween. Oh, yeah, I'm getting mixed up now. I lost my phone on New Year's Eve, and I lost right. my hat on Halloween. And <laughs> there, there are the two things that are always glued to me. <laughs> there, there seems to be a running pattern here of just you losing things, Charlie. You know. Well, I don't know if it's me losing things. Maybe people hiding them on me. Or something. <laughs> I don't know. But like, yeah, losing things. (laughs) Well, look, we'll start with an easy question. Tell everybody that's listening who you are and what do you do with yourself? I'm an indie singer-songwriter, multi-instrumentalist from Downpatrick, which is a small town that I wouldn't recommend anyone go to. Oh, no. Um, (laughs) Sorry to all the DPK Massive. I am a DPK Massive loyal. And I've been writing, releasing, and playing live since I was, well, since I was like 12, I had my first band when I was 12, and we were gigging, and then uh, I decided to start doing my own stuff on my own when I was like 14, so I've been doing this since I was 14, really, and uh, been playing in Belfast, and then eventually that's sort of expanded to all of Ireland at the minute, and hopefully at some point this year, we're going to go to England and do some stuff as well, so... See what happens, you know. Fingers crossed. I want tickets in the post, Charlie. (laughs) I'm hoping, I'm hoping, you know. (laughs) But tell me this, right? So you said that you had your first band at the age of 12. Sorry, is that correct? Yes, yeah. The Millenniums. The Millenniums, fair play to the Millenniums. Well, where did it, it, was there somewhere before that that it started? You said you're a multi-instrumentalist. You can also sing and very well, might I add. So where did it start? originally no were you pushed out in front of granny and grandas and relatives at at parties was it school plays was it you in your bedroom on your own was it all of the above i didn't i didn't actually start singing until i was like 12 um okay. i and i didn't start playing guitar until i was like eight i started on drums and that was and still to this day i'd say drums is one of my like true passions in music fair that's like what i love the most but um I always wanted to be Freddie Mercury at the end of the day. He was my icon, like, so I was like, I'm going to have to sing, like, you know. (laughs) And obviously, I'm no Freddie. No one's one's ever going to be Freddie, like. True, true. um, Yeah. So I started writing, like, I didn't want to learn other people's songs. I immediately went into, I just thought, I'm going to sing and play guitar. I'm going to have to write songs to go along with it. Of course. It was sort of like that. And I was just writing little ditties about like sports day in school or just like anything random i could think of and then that eventually turned into throughout the years actually good songs and it was just okay. years of writing and writing right now still that because i'm still quite mm. young and i think it's still a learning curve mm. altogether you know i'm still like uh, trying to really hone my craft as a writer so fair that's where i'm at now and 
where do your influences come from or even not even where they started or where they started but who are you listening to now even as well stuff i love now like i Declan McKenna will forever be a yeah. favorite artist of mine, and like he was one of the first acts I ever saw live, and like has always been a big inspiration, you know. Um, bands like Blossoms and Inhaler uh, mm. and Sam Fender, I love all that stuff as well. And Holly Humberstone's great, and there's so much music. I mean, there's a lot of stuff like locally in the local scene that of I course. like look up to, and um, like Brandy Friend. Who are friends of mine now. But, yeah, brilliant um, band. They were just like, I was actually writing with Aaron from Brandy Friend yesterday. Oh, and, fantastic. Uh, yeah, we, we, we've wrote a few tunes together in the past I... and we were finishing up some songs yesterday. But yes, I, they have always been one of my favorite bands and uh, I got to support them this year and they've been very supportive throughout my career. So they've been a big influence to me just as people, but also musically as well. You know, Fantastic. Well, you know, you talk about support there and about the local scene and we have a deadly scene here, you know, for such a small sure. area, we have a, a deadly scene. But you, you did mention about support. You done the Scratch My Progress program with the OES Centre. And I, did I have interviewed people before who have done it and interviewed somebody this week who's currently doing it and somebody who's currently doing it I have an interview with in two or three weeks time. It, it's, it seems to be this, you know, I was in the OES Centre actually over the weekend. It's this just beacon of just constant, I suppose, support, communication, network for local artists here. How did it yeah. help you? It was probably the most beneficial because I was 16 when I did it. Right. So I, I, and I'd never really been to Belfast, like, except okay. for like shopping trips. Yeah. You know, that's yeah. that's how culty I am at some, <laughs> some points. You know? Of the culties, of the culties. <laughs> of the culties, but like, you know, um, <laughs> but um, yeah, so like, I started uh, studying music and tech that week, uh-huh. and then I got on the scratch, so I was in Belfast all week, and then I'd be doing the scratch uh, meetings after tech, and that it's just Charlene Hegarty is the most amazing human you'll ever meet. She's incredible. And uh, she knows everything. Yeah. And, and every- she knows everyone as well. Do, do you know what, though? <laughs> Everybody that I speak to who has ever done any work in the US Centre or even with Scratch My Progress or anything just speaks of her so highly. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. No, she's a really wonderful person. And it's probably been one of the most important people in my career because, like, this, the thing she taught me, because I was very new to... Um, the game and I was also very young and for her to like sort of let me in when I was mm. so young and have trust in my music and all and um, I always felt really out of my death as well because I was sitting amongst like adults the whole time <laughs> I literally felt like a little kid but um, yeah it was it was incredible and th- also to be on it I was on with Jack Devlin Problem Patterns Miles McCormick and Susie Pegel uh-huh who are all just unreal. And yep. we all got so friendly throughout the process of that, you know, and like, mm. like Susie's open for like loads of sh- my shows now and like, she's absolutely smashing it. She's great. Yeah. But um, it's just so good to see afterwards. And then like, for example, this year, my uh, very close friend, Martha Greer, who we, we, we met through the OES Centre um, years ago. She Fantastic. played her first gig. Um, at a volume control thing and I was on the bill as well and then mm. we've been friends ever since like and 
to see her on scratch and then seeing all my friends, you know, getting places with it. It's like, it's just the most amazing thing. And to be a part of it was a real honor, like, you know. Fair play, fair play. And I actually interviewed Martha during the week there. Um, and her interview will be out tomorrow. Yes, indeed. Yes, for anybody yes. listening now, it's, it's, it's there. It's all, for anybody listening now, it's already out in the ether there. So go listen after you listen to this. <laughs> <laughs> Big up but, Martha Greer. Yeah, she's 100%. She's a lovely person. I must say, I have to say it now. But tell me, you know, you've featured in publications like Dig With It. You've been in the Bell Tell. You've been on ATL, Cross the Line, you know, BBC Introducing. And I always wonder, you know, when artists start to be recognized by people as the one to watch or a song mm. that people are, you know, putting up there is actually, this is really, really good. You know, when people start to talk and write about you, how does it make you feel? Do you feel appreciation, acceptance, success? Do you feel a little bit of like, oh my God, I need to continue to do this? Is it all of the above? Is it none of the above? When it was like, that all came around when I, I was on Scratch. Uh-huh. So like I I joined Scratch and then all these people started going, who is this person? Like I've never heard of him before, right? And he's so young and doing shows and whatnot. And like, like I was like a new person on the scene. But what people didn't understand was I had actually been working at it for years because I've been doing it since I was so young. So by the time I was sixteen, I already had like four years of like gigging and like writing under my belt, you know. So I was like ready to go. And I think people just sort of saw me as like, you know, this sort of like, oh, this indie, new indie kid on the block kind of thing. And I I remember feeling very like grateful and it was a really exciting time for me. And like getting to meet legends like Stu Bailey and all and like Terry Hooley came mm. to a show of mine and all. And like it was just unreal. Um, but then you do sort of get this feeling like, you know, when you have people writing about you and like, um, people liking one song there's definitely a pressure like going forward and I felt that but I think because I was so young at the time I felt the pressure more but then I realised so I didn't release anything for a year because I was like I can't follow up what you know okay. what, what I've just done but then I realised it's not about that it's about making stuff that I'm proud of and yeah. it's for me so that's I've gotten to a really good zone recently in terms of like releasing and recording and i've got loads of stuff coming out this year Ooh. and it's stuff that i'm very like very very proud of like it's the best stuff i've done yet and um i feel like just i'm ready to go now like i feel like this is the start you know even though it's like every time i do something new i always feel like this is no this is the beginning of the career you know it's just <laughs> well, new beginnings all the time <laughs> but, but that's a good thing that's that's a brilliant thing and it actually brings us very nicely into my next question because, you know, you've supported big acts like Ash, Coach Party, Woodburn Savages, um, among others, as I said earlier, Pete Doherty. You know, in in what, what seems to be a short space of time, like you've covered so much, right? And you've been asked to support these people um, and that obviously gives you like a deadly feeling. But does it give you that sense of feeling or that sense that I'm doing well, I'm good, and now you're saying to the world, as you just probably said, now you ain't heard nothing yet. Like it's 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 the, the best is is coming. Do you know what I mean? It's it, you know this yeah. you, you, this is the tip of the iceberg. Uh, well, I mean, um, it's all about enjoying it in the moment as well. Like for example, the Pete Doherty show was a really surreal experience because I got the gig the night before at ten o'clock, right? Which is like 
in my head, like the most Pete Doherty story <laughs> ever, you know, via email. And it was like, oh, can you do this tomorrow? And it was his management. And I was like, well, yeah. And then I actually, I actually quit the part-time job I had at the time that day. <laughs> So I could do the gig. Yeah, you're like I'm not missing this for the world. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, I was like, because uh, I, I wasn't sure if they'd give me it off or not, but I didn't really want to work there anyway. So I was like, I'm support Pete Doherty. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> and then I was job hunting for ages. But <laughs> um, we did. I did the show, and he arrived during my sound check, and he was the most lovely fella ever. And, Moments like that, it's it's also like a good nod of approval. Like you mm. know, when you get the support and bands that you really admire as well, like Coach Party, I really love them, and to meet them and get to open their show, and you know Andrew Cushion as well, and Brandy Friend, and there's just so many, and I'm so grateful for what I've got to do. But um, that's all in Belfast, so now it's just expanding that, yeah, and making it bigger, and just um enjoying everything as it comes because. Mm. Uh, you never know what could happen. You know? Of course, of course. Well, you've pl- you've done what many, I think, is a rite of passage for many Irish artists or artists that live in this island. You played Wheelands in Dublin. Yes. Did that have yeah. any, did, did playing such a legendary venue, a venue that so many massive, massive acts have played, did that have any effect on you? That, that, that gig was a very exciting time for us. You know, it was like the band I had at the time uh-huh. that playing with me. It was just a very. It was there was a lot of buzz around it because it was our first ever show in Dublin and it was the biggest show we had played to that to that point. And um, yeah, we had a good run up to it as well in terms of what we were doing in Belfast and to do that venue was so so cool. And we're actually, mm. it's not announced yet, but I can announce it here and I won't really get in trouble, you know, because <laughs> I'm my own boss. You know? <laughs> <laughs> no, he's gonna sack me. <laughs> We're heading back to Wheelands um, in March to do a headline show in the in the upstairs in the upstairs room. So that's going to be a nice full circle moment because remembering being like seventeen and playing there and you know just having the crack. And now we're going to be back and going to try sell some tickets. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) you know it's scary. Yeah, yeah, should be fun. It's It's an amazing place. It is, and upstairs is a great venue actually as well because I've seen a few different artists there. So it's it, it it's a it's a beautiful space. Do you know what I mean? Mm, for sure. Like I, I haven't been upstairs, and the only time I've been there was when we were doing that gig and supporting Brona as well. Brona's the loveliest person ever, and she's been very supportive. So yeah, it was cool. Like, <laughs> <laughs> and you know, you've played a lot of sets in bars and clubs. In, in venues, but you've also done festivals, for example, Wild Roots. W- w- is there a difference? And if so, what is it between playing to a festival crowd or to a club crowd or to a bar crowd, for example? Um, yeah, there definitely is. I mean, like, I'm we're not, I'm not totally um trained up in festivals. I've done a few festivals. I actually did more festivals when I was like fourteen. Right. Um, in 2019, as Charlie Hamlin, and it was just me solo, and sort of the first gigs I did were festival slots. But then this year we went to Wild Roots Festival, and that's a funny story, and I think Go it's on. good for a podcast. We decided that we would make a big weekend out of it and go camping, and you know, like it was our first major sort of festival. Mm. Um, 
and we were like, yeah, we'll, we'll drive the cars and we'll bring all our mates because we can get them all wristbands, you know. Yeah, yeah. We're going to bring like loads of beer and just like bring our tents and it's going to be great. There's going to be free camping, you know, all this stuff. We arrived. We didn't know where to go. And then we arrived to where we were setting up our tents and we were still buzzing to the point where we set up the tent and we realized we had drove the whole way to Slago and only brought half a tent. <laughs> <laughs> and we were this was the Friday and we were playing on the Sunday so it wasn't like we could just do the gig and go home you yeah. know <laughs> and we, were, we were playing at 8 o'clock on the Sunday and um, we slept on the grass the first night because it was sunny enough mm. and then we all started getting like heat stroke and just like it was it was awful and then by Sunday we were all just like we were trying to like drink to get fruit and that was not working. That was just a bad idea. And then by the Sunday, we were all just hanging and we were on the stage. To, and then we played to like a very small amount of people. And I, it was a very uh, learning experience. But like, I wouldn't change it for the world for a first festival experience because I just think it's a class story to tell. Like, well, you know, <laughs> the band and all. You know? But like, um, yeah, half that we slept in the cars the second night, which was. A little bit better, but mm. then uh, we ended up going home early. As soon as we, as soon as we left the stage, <laughs> we were planning to stay the Sunday, and then we left the stage and we're like, "No, get in the car. We're going now. We are leaving. <laughs> like, you know, we can't, we can't be here anymore. We, we messed it up too much." <laughs> it's easy done. It's very easy done. Do you know what I mean? Very easy done. But a bit of crack, a bit of crack, a learning curve. Yeah. And there's definitely a difference with the crowds as well. With a festival crowd, you're fighting a bit more because people are walking past you. Yeah. You know, it's like busking almost mm. in a way because I used to busk when I was very young, but I, I thought I felt it was like busking because we were on a stage that was on the way to the main stage. So you just have people passing, passing, and the odd head turning around and looking, and then we had people dancing by the end, and that's what mattered, you know? And I'd rather take five people dancing over, like, 300 people just staring at me, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, as long as I know someone's having a good time, I've done the job. Fair, fair, fair. And then I suppose, you know, we need to talk about some of the actual tracks that you have shared to the world. So your first release, correct me if I'm wrong, was Will You Stay Tonight? Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. you're already laughing, you're already smiling. <laughs> what? What was the score with this track? Uh, it was a um, a song I wrote for a songwriting competition. Um, I, I thought if I write like a cliche love song, um, I'll win. I, I'll win. Yeah, <laughs> didn't work. I didn't even make the semi-finals. But then I liked the song that came out of it. And I was fourteen, and then I went and recorded it with um, this guy called Cal Clark, who's brilliant in Banger. Uh-huh. in the tech and banger and then i released it i wasn't gonna release it but then lockdown happened and then i was like sad with no gigs and i was like well i need to put a single out now and i have time to work on it and so i released it and i think i, I actually do enjoy it listening back to it sometimes because it shows a point in my career where i'm just very early on and i was 14 recording that you know mm. like um a lot of people would take that stuff down but i think at the same time there's no shame in it because it just shows growth exactly to where I'm at now you know what I mean and at the end of the day we play it live like very rarely but sometimes and it does go hard live 
you know, <laughs> it gets the people moving. Yeah, yeah, fair play. Um, yeah, so that's why you said a night like. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. Oh, well, my favourite is I Lost Myself. And it feels, to me, like a track, perhaps a bit struggle, struggle to accept that somebody perhaps doesn't want you anymore, doesn't like you anymore. But also a track about resilience, because there's lines in it that's like, but it's not going to stop me. As if, you know, I'm going to push on ahead, I'm going to keep going, or yardless. What influenced this track? Um, That was actually, like, a song I wrote on top of my washing machine. <laughs> 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 I was, it was on my 15th birthday and um, I, I felt like, this I, this does sound a bit mental, but I felt like I was getting sort of lost in like a digital world because I was like always online and mm. always seeing what other people were up to and you know, like, and I felt like a lot of my friends were like feeling the same way. So the song is about someone actually being like, lost in a digital world and like not really knowing what to do because it's it's kind of when you really think about what goes on like we're chatting for a laptop right now yeah yeah we're, we're not even you know so we're not know. we're we're not in a, in, a, in a studio we're not beside each other yeah. we're not having lovely cups of tea and you know going for a pint after you know yeah it's like it's like about a boy being like sort of a hypothetical story about a boy being lost in a digital world and not knowing what to do but then there's like a love interest, but then it's like all in his head, and it's just it's a mad song. <laughs> <laughs> but I do, I do, I do absolutely adore that song, and I like what you said about it because mm. I feel like at the end of the day, with the songs I write, people can take away whatever they want from them, and that's yeah. that's because it's not mine anymore. As soon as I put it out there, it's everyone's. And whatever people think it is, is that's what it is. You know what I mean? Yeah. But um, that's like kind it. of what was going through my head when I was recording it um, on the on the washing machine. The only <laughs> time I've ever wrote a song on a washing machine. I mean, do you know what? It, look, if it produced um, that and, you know, and, 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 and give you that type of inspiration, maybe go back to like go back <laughs> to the washing machine. <laughs> yeah, I need to get back on top of it, like you know, <laughs> literally. <laughs> <laughs> but your your latest single, "Who Am I." To say anything, yeah. Where where did this come from? Were you sitting on a table? Were you sitting on a wall? Was it a garden <laughs> fence? <laughs> um, this one was a song that I had, like it came out of a thing. I was doing like a little over like twenty twenty one a little music course, mm-hmm. like online music course thing. Like, and that basically by the end of it, you had to have had produced like produced and produced a song for them. Right. Mm-hmm. And I was like feeling a bit cheeky, and I was like, "Well, I do this all the time." And da, da, da. so on the first night, I sat down on my laptop and I wrote, "Who am I to say anything?" Just in one go, a, a, just a simple, silly pop song about falling out of love, kind of thing, you know. Yeah. And I was like, "That's such a great song," but then it, it was a couple of months after that when I started playing live again where the song really started to shape itself and become something way more energetic because it used to be like really ballady and just like straightforward. Okay. And then it's just been a staple of my live set since like, you know, every time it has to be on it because it's one of my favorites to play live. And I've, I did a few recordings of it, but mm. I went with Michael Mermeka who's done my past singles and he's incredible we ended up making something that I was really proud of and that was 
eventually when I decided to be the follow-up because I thought there was a bit of demand for that song in terms of people who'd seen me live okay. asking for it to be put out. So, yeah, and I, I do love that song and I will continue to sing it at least for another six months. <laughs> <laughs> is it your favourite out of all the songs you've you've penned or at least that you've released to the world? Or is there a favourite? Or do you love them all? Do you um, love all your children, your, all your children equally? I love them all for like different reasons, you know. Because, yeah. like, to be honest, like out of all all those songs that are on mm. my Spotify, they were all written when I was fourteen, fifteen. And now so, you're what age are you? Nineteen now. Okay. So, um, those songs are so in the past for me now compared to yeah. what I'm writing now. Okay. But like they're only just getting released. Like this next single that I have coming out, which will be out in February before my headline show, mm-hmm. um, exclusive. Uh, <laughs> that's a song that I wrote when I was sixteen. So I'm building. I've had these songs for years, <laughs> but I'm eventually building my way up. And then by the time maybe I'm thirty, I'll be releasing the songs I'm writing now. You know. <laughs> but, well, um, yeah, no, they do represent moments in time. For me, I'm like, I, when I listen back or play the songs, I can mm. remember where I was and what I was thinking. And a lot of it was during lockdown, to be honest. Okay. Like, they all sort of came out of that, you know. Before we get to tell everybody what's in the pipeline in terms of gigs and in terms of tracks, releases, and where to find you all over the socials and all sorts of things, we're going to do a quick fire round. Everybody gets the same questions who comes on to the podcast. Nobody ever does them quick fire, so that's okay. Um, And you can answer and say whatever you want. It's just a little bit of fun. So, the first question is this. If you were a drink, alcohol, or otherwise, what would you be? I would be a pint of Guinness because Americans are interested in me, but people pretend to like me. (laughs) (laughs) God. uh... (laughs) You you can say anything. Some people have said Ribena. Some people have said milk. Some people have said tequila. Some people have said a pint of Guinness as well for a different reason. Some people have said water. I, I would say a pint of Guinness as well. Which may be a bit of a cover, but just because um, I love it <laughs> and I want to be someone I love. I, you can't love yourself. You can't love no one else. So from a pint of Guinness, I will love myself. I love it. I love it. Good. <laughs> good answer. Good answer. If you had a superpower, what would it be and what would you do with it? I'm not sure. Like uh, mind reading, maybe. Okay. I know. And just work out what people are thinking all the time and maybe, but maybe that's a bad thing when you think mm, about it yeah because then someone you could be sitting with someone that you they're just like oh they're, they're thinking go away and they're like yeah 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 you know? <laughs> like, um i don't know super far um to be able to pour guinness out of the top of my finger <laughs> uh, the perfect pint comes out <laughs> of the top of my finger at any time <laughs> like not an et phone home but it's like a charlie guinness <laughs> Yeah, split the G, you know, phone home. That's what I'm... <laughs> so tell me, um, do you have a hangover cure or a hangover food if you drink at all? Well, you do drink because you're in Guinness, but do you have a hangover yeah. cure? Is there a particular food you go to that cures you? Maybe you don't eat at all. Maybe you're just like, I go for a run. <laughs> I don't know. I am a believer in... It's what Bruno Gallagher actually told me. Right. was um, the... She called it like the little red magic doctor, but it's just a freezing cold tin of Coca-Cola. Um, first okay. thing, if you get your hands on that, that always works for me. 
And then a fries handy enough as well. Like, <laughs> but, you know, that, that's not always at your fingertips. No, no. But the Guinness will be. <laughs> um, if you could go on a date with anybody, living or dead, who would it be? What would you do? It can be romantic. It cannot be romantic. It's up to yourself. Uh, um, oh, I don't know. That's a that's a that's a tough one. I'm I'm gonna go on a um a dinner date with Alex Turner just for a Fair. laugh. Yeah. Right, and then people be like. Who's Alex Turner dating right now? And they're like, <laughs> oh, it's Charlie Hanlon. I can see it. I can see it. Because he's had, he's quite, like, every time he dates, like, someone that's always, like, in the press. Yeah. So it's a good PR stunt yeah. if you're <laughs> ah, Alex yeah. Turner, you know? So maybe Alex Turner, maybe Taylor Swift's a good one as well. Yeah. I, I like the way you're thinking. It's not like, you know, you know, I, I really, I really am attracted to them, or I really want to pick their brain about their musical interests or influences. No, I just want the PR. <laughs> yeah, I'm not attracted to Alex Turner at all. Like, I'm sorry. <laughs> it's the only thing coming away. But also, it'd just be cool to talk to that guy. Yeah, I fair. Him fair enough. <laughs> so, final question: I have a magic ball in front of me. Um, you can play. Any gig in the world, it could be a festival, it could be a sold out show, it could be supporting somebody, it could be absolutely anything. You can be playing in Downpatrick, you can be playing in Glastonbury, you could be playing at Coachella, anywhere at all. What would it be? Give me the whole vibe and context of the whole thing. Um, so I'm going to say the Olympia Theatre in Dublin. Oh, good shout. Um, um, to be honest, I'd be happy if I was just playing the tambourine there, but for the sake of this, I'm going to say... Two nights sold out in the next five years. Oh! <laughs> if the Magic Ball could do that, two nights back-to-back sold out in the Olympia Theatre would be... And I know it's two nights is ambitious, but sure. Why, Why not? not? <laughs> if, if some people can do it, I can do it too, you know? Exactly. So maybe, maybe we'll start with one night. One night sold out <laughs> in the Olympia Theatre, and then if there's enough demand, we'll stick on another night. And, uh, yeah, big light show. Like just um, all the tunes, all the classics, you know, mm-hmm. all the ones written on washing machines and few and far between, like you know. But I love um, it. yeah, and I'd be a theater is my favorite venue ever. So anything there, to be honest, and supporting anyone there in the near future is the goal. That place is amazing. Fair enough. Fair enough. Well, look before um, before I say goodbye to you. Tell anybody that's listening where they can find your music, where they can find you on socials. Any upcoming gigs or anything you'd like to tease? Um, so I have a headline show in the Union Bar um, on the 24th of February with support from Makeshift Art Bar, who is super cool. And the thing is, here from Dan Patrick, also super cool. Um, tickets are on sale now. You can get it from the links in my bios on shine.net, ticketmaster.ie. Please help me sell some tickets. We, we need to sell it out. So... <laughs> Well, so yeah, and I'm on all social media. It's just Charlie Hanlon, Charlie Hanlon underscore on Instagram, Charlie Hanlon on Spotify, all that crap. New music very soon, um, very early February. So new single, leading up to the headline show. So it's going to be a very exciting time, and yeah, that's about it. The uh, keep rocking. Uh, that's a message to the world. Just fantastic, fantastic. Like, keep was driving, it? guys. <laughs> keep her going. Look, Charlie, thank you very much for joining me. Jack, thank you for having me. It's been a blast.